Welcome, everyone, to the very latest Bolt from the Blue podcast. Um, I'm Mike Long, a.k.a. Bolt from the Blue, and I've got two wonderful guests uh, to talk about uh, the latest issues with me. And the first is Ray from City Fan TV. Ray, how are you doing? What's going on? How are you? I'm doing very, very well indeed, Mike. Thanks very much for asking. I had a great day, uh, about half a day spent in Paris, uh, where I am at the moment for maybe another week or so, and uh, very pleasant weather. It's not as hot as it was uh, recently. It's low 20s and very, very pleasant indeed. And we've also got Colin Savage. Just in case, guys, you thought that Colin had deserted us, he's back in the saddle. He's going to be with us for uh, the latest uh, pods uh, going forward. We're delighted to have him with us. Uh, fresh on the success of that uh, last pod that we did, uh, Colin. Uh, totally now 1,339 listens on our FFP uh, pod. Uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, great to uh, have you on board. How are you doing? What's going on? Good, good. It's um, Obviously, it's um, not quite as nice as Paris because we're in Manchester, of course. But, um, yeah, no, good, good. I'm really good. I start a big new job um or big new promotion tomorrow so i'm looking wow. forward to that right and, ye- and yesterday i spent running around after my one-year-old granddaughter which so probably not going to be much difference between the job and running uh be- because basically obviously she's quite self-reliant you know <laughs> so what you have to do is make sure she doesn't do anything stupid <laughs> and i think that's um pretty well what my new job's going to be like as well making sure <laughs> people don't do anything stupid it's funny how how often that applies to other areas of life. But, um, Colin, yes. that, that, that should keep you fit. Um, guys, what we're here to talk about um, is obviously that there's been um, a Jack Grealish explosion uh, all over the Internet um, saying that City have triggered uh, the 100 million uh, buyout clause. Now, now, of course, we'll talk about that. That, that will feature. But very luckily, um, I think that it has brought up a number of issues. And uh, thanks to Ray, we've, uh, we've, he's actually sketched out um, a little agenda for us to talk about. Let me just go through the points and then uh, Ray and Colin uh, will flesh them out. Now, there are a total of uh, about five points here. And so Ray is um, uh, talking about number one. The way that fans think about prize money and sales and how that affects uh, uh, transfers. Uh, Number two, 
is um, the fact that uh, not a lot of people uh, know this, but Ray will reinforce uh, the point that uh, financial fair play is only interested in the profit and loss account, not in the balance sheet. Um, and he'll talk about that. Uh, the third point is um, how we account for purchases in that profit and loss account. If we're assuming that uh, Grealish and Kane cost us about 240 million on six-year contracts, how does that work out in, in practice? Uh, the fourth thing is about wages. A lot of City fans have got stuff to talk about wages. Now, if you imagine that those two players' wages are 500000 a week combined, uh, how does uh, the effect of Aguero's departure and possibly uh, Bernardo's uh, departure as well uh, impact on that? And finally, um, we're going to talk about uh, player sales. How can City make a good accounting profit uh, when we sell academy players? And not many people are talking about this. We've sold bunches of them and we're going to sell a bunch more. Um, so that's going to be um, our agenda. And we're going to start off with Ray and we're going to talk a little bit about um, prize money and sales and how that affects our ability to make transfers. We'll start off with Ray and then Colin will chime in. Yeah, I think I think Colin is, is the one who's going to go into a lot of the detail on this. Um, but what, what I'm going to do is on each of these points go through you know the thought process as to why they've come up, and and the reason for this pod is uh, over the last few days we've seen sadly uh, a lot of people, a lot of fans on social media, not just City fans but fans from many many clubs, talking about the fact that City look like we're going to get Jack Grealish and quite possibly Harry Kane as well. When I heard somebody on a, a radio station today saying uh, it was a guest on the show actually said. If City get Jack Grealish and Harry Kane, the rest of us might as well pack up and go home. We've got no chance. Uh, I think that's, you know, gone a little bit too far. But a lot, a lot of people said City are going to spend a lot of money on these two players. We're talking about potentially two hundred and fifty million pounds on Jack Grealish and, and Harry Kane. And uh, some fans have said, you know, City fans, people have said actually, how are you going to afford that? How are you going to uh, do? Uh, get past FFP, you must be cheating the system. And part of this is following on from the story uh, we did in our last pod about the uh, the court case. Um, and, and, people, and then City fans have come back and said, well, actually, City made £215 million last year in prize money. Um, and we've sold already, so, sold or we're going to sell £100 million worth of players. Uh, so that makes £315 million. Uh, that's more than 250. What's the problem? And it's so that's what it, uh, got my thought processes going, got my juices flowing about this pod. And the sad thing is, we've been doing this, talking about finances and how things work and, and FFP, probably for the best part of 10 years. And we're actually, I feel going backwards because there seems to be more and more people who don't have a Scooby Doo, they don't have an a clue, they don't have any idea about what's going on. So, you know, I think I'm going to hand over to Colin to explain why, even though we might have made £250 million in prize money, we might be selling players for about £100 million. It's not so, so simple that that £315 million quid is going to pay for Jack Grealish and Harry Kane. Well, yes, where do I start? So it, it's all about, we, I think we've had these conversations before, 
but it's all about the complexities of how we account for players. So when we buy, say if we spend, say, let's say for the sake of argument, 250 million on Kane Grealish, we don't know that yet, of course, but let's say um, we, we actually put that through the accounts at 50 million a year. So it's 250 million over five years, but we divide the 250 million by five <coughs> and we put that 50 million into the accounts each year they're, they're with us. So that, that, that 250 million then is, is just about the cash. And, and even then, there's ways we can you know, get around that. We'll pay in installments, we'll take a loan or something like that. So, so what, what's going in the accounts is 50 million a year for those two. Let's take Grealish on his own. Um, if we pay 100 million for him, has been rumoured, um, 20 million, that's 20 million a year, which is obviously not as bad as 100 million. So there are ways of balancing that out. And of course, this is wages as well. But if you think about player, player costs in the profit and loss account, which, which is all that counts for financial fair play, and I think Ray's going to talk about that um, shortly, um, there are two costs that matter. One is, is the amortisation we've just talked about, and the other is wages. So those two together are our two biggest expenses, and those will determine whether we uh, make a profit or not. Basically. The third element, actually, that comes in is the, the profit we make on players we sell. So if you think we, we, if we bring Grealish in for 20 million, uh, for, sorry, for 100 million, that goes in the accounts at 20 million, if we sell two academy players, you know, Jack Harrison and Angelino for 20 million, that basically paid Jack Grealish's first year amortization. And I think the, the model, the business model is we will sell academy players every year. So if you think that we're paying 100 million for Jack Grealish and we're paying um, 20 million, uh, we're receiving 20 million for a couple of academy players, that sounds like a, a mismatch. We're actually they balance each other off because the academy players have cost us nothing or very little. So any money we make on them is pure profit. So that, that's that's how it all works. And, and you think, and then there's wages. So Sergio Aguero has left us. Um, Bernardo may leave us. You know, let's say they're on I don't know, 400K between them. That's, that's 20 million a year. So again, that's another 20 million we've freed up from the accounts. So you've got to think, you can't think in terms of fees. You've got to think in terms of amortisation of wages and also profit on player sales. OK, the, the next, next thing is, I think, um, is how do I think Collins already touched on this a little bit, but how we account for purchases in the accounts, actual transfers in. And we're going to assume uh, you can pick any figure you want. Uh, I'm just picking this because City do put players on long contracts. So if we assume we pay about £240 million combined for Grealish and Kane, let's put them on six-year contracts because City do that. For, there's a very good reason we don't put them on four-year contracts. I mean, Kane is, what, 28 years old now? And most fans will think, well, if we put him on a six-year contract, that's uh, he'll be 34, he'll be past it by that age. Why on earth would you put him on a six-year contract? Well, there are very good reasons, financial reasons, in your profit and loss account to do that. So let's say, as I said, we, we spend £240 million, put them on six-year contracts. As Colin has said, the amortisation is 240 divided by six is 40 million pounds. So I'll hand back to Colin to talk more about this and, and why City put them on such long contracts. And also, guys, I think probably what we should do now is, I mean, I learned this in in uh, in high school, but a lot of people don't really get it or they've forgotten it about what is the difference between 
the information you get on a profit and loss account and on your balance sheet. Yeah, should we go into that then? Well, yeah. um, this is this is a point I've made before when I'm talking about financial fair play, but the profit and loss account is history. It's the history of the last 12 months. It shows the money you've got in and the money you've paid out uh, on expenses. So if you think about, um, say, your household budget, you know, if you work out how much money you got in wages and you might have um, investments that, well, you might have investments to produce a bit of income, not much these days. Um, you might have won stuff on the lottery or you might have sold stuff on eBay. And that's all your normal income coming in. And then you're paying out, you might be paying out for your mortgage, your gas and electricity, council tax, uh, groceries. You might be paying a car loan or a lease or something like that. So you're just totting up all your revenue and expenses over the previous year. And when we say revenue, if we put it back into football club terms, it's the money we get from tickets. So obviously that's not much last year. The the money we get from commercial sponsors and the money we prize money we get from both uh, the Premier League and UEFA. Now um, y- y- there's often confusion between um, you know what 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 makes up revenue. So for example, if you take out a mortgage, that's not revenue. You know if you get take out a 250k mortgage, that's not revenue. That that's something else. Um, if if a football club takes out a loan, that isn't revenue. It's only stuff on that you earn from your operations. So I say, just to re-emphasize this, it's mainly, well, it's almost exclusively ticket money, commercial sponsorships, and TV prize money. So so that's the profit and loss account. It, it's historic. The, the balance sheet is more of a snapshot. So the balance sheet is looking at assets and liabilities, and they're the things you own and the things you, your money you owe. So, um Obviously, if you if you buy a house, you have a house worth X, you've probably got a mortgage worth Y. And those are assets and liabilities. Your house is an asset and your house might be 300,000, uh, might cost you 300,000. Your mortgage might be 250,000. So you've got an asset of 300,000. You've got a liability of 250,000. So it's a, it's a snapshot at a point in time of your assets and liabilities. You might have other loans. You might have taken a loan out to put double glazing in your new house and uh, or, or to buy a car or something like that. You might have investments. So you might have um, savings accounts, shares, ISAs, whatever. So so these are all assets and liabilities. And I say it's a snapshot. Then w- when you get into the corporate world, there's a third statement, which is called the cash flow statement. And the cash flow statement deals purely with the actual movements of cash. So if you think back to when we talked about player amortization, Let's assume we pay 100 million cash for Jack Grealish. That 100 million goes in the cash flow statement because it's a cash movement. But only the 20 million amortization goes in the profit and loss account. So those are the three types of, of statements. And so when you buy a player, basically what will happen is the cost will go in the balance sheet because that, that player is an asset. And that will be the cost that you pay. And, and we the amortization we put in the profit and loss account is basically the depreciation of that contract. It's not the player. People say, what well, can't we value players at what they're worth? But what actually we're putting in the accounts is the value of the contract. So that that's how it works. So Jack Grealish at 100 million will go in the balance sheet as an asset and every year will knock 20 million off that. So at the end of the first year, that contract 
net value will be 80 million. Second year, 60 million. Third year, 40 million. And that's how we work out profit and loss on the sale of a player because we don't use people say, oh, you know, we bought someone for 50 million, we sold them for 30 million, we've made a 20 million pound loss. That's not the way it works. If you buy someone for 50 million over five years, let's say you, so at the end of the second year, they're worth 40 million. End of the third, end of the first year, sorry, they're worth 40 million. Second year, 30 million. Third year, 20 million, because we've knocked off the 10 million amortization every year. So if we sell that 20, that player for 30 million, actually, we've made a profit. So this, this explains why selling academy players is good business, because you might say, well, we've only got, what, 12 million for Jack Harrison. That's it, 12, pretty well 12 million on the bottom line, straight profit, because he's in the books at nothing. So um, that, that's how it, that's all, how works, it all works, basically. Ray, do you want to say anything else? Um, no, I, th- I think that's probably um, covered it. Um, like you say, you know, it's, it's, I think I've got to re-emphasise that point. It is so important that when a player is sold, you look um, for the uh, you, you don't look at what did we physically actually pay for this guy and what we're we actually getting and take them away and say that's the profit or the loss. It's really important for accounting purposes to look at what's called the net book value. That's the difference between, um, and basically that's what's actually in the balance sheet. That's the value of that player after accounting for the amortization um, that you know he, he has gone through uh, during his t- time of his contract. And basically, the longer I mean, uh, there's no this is not a hard and fast rule, but it's basically it's pretty true. Basically, the longer someone stays with you the lower their net book value is going to be. So as, as Colin said, I just want to reiterate that point. If you bought a player, for argument's sake, for $100 million, um, and three years later, on a five-year contract, three years later, after three-fifths of the amortization on, on, on what you paid, in, in the accounts he's worth $40 million. If you then go and sell him for $60 million, you've made a £20 million profit in the accounts and that's what matters it doesn't matter the actual cash dealings like oh we've spent 100 and we're only getting 60 million back it's what's in the accounts that's so important for for financial fair play it's crucial that's all that that matters so and i've heard today for uh, uh, for instance i don't know how true this story is that um city are going to buy a player from from portugal is it grimaldo and Ben Mendy's gone the other way. Um, so that, that's just come through, you know, as I said, I don't know if that's true or not. And the, Ben Mendy's going to go, I think we're, at, we're actually paying him to leave because he's going to have to take a massive uh, wage cut. But it's, it's, you know, but it's also important that if we, I've said this before as well, we, we do, I've got to be careful about what words I use here, where sometimes I believe players' sales prices are inflated to help financial fair play. I, I, I talked about this in the past when Danilo was sold to um, Juventus. Now, Danilo went through our books, I think about 30-odd million quid, and I thought, hang on, <laughs> he's not worth that sort of money. You know, he's not, you know, we paid 20-odd million, I think 26 million for him, and he's he's done it all right. He's nothing special. And how can his value go up? And I, what I think happened is, his value went up, so we made a bigger profit on sale. Ju- Juventus sold us Cancelo for probably a little bit more than he was actually worth. I think it was um, it feels overinflated the price. That helped with FFP for that 
particular year. So I think that's that's important to, to, to understand about, you know, you might come across this term, the net book value. That's simply the difference in effect between what you paid for the player and what you've amortised over X number of years. Well, guys, let's uh, move on to the next topic, which is the Bernardo effect. Now, I got a lot of grief on on Twitter, and deservedly so, I think, for speculating that Bernardo was going to leave. Uh, but actually, it's it's quite an open secret that Bernardo, for the last couple of seasons, has decided that he wants to go to warmer climes, and he hasn't uh, quite settled into Manchester. Would you expect that to happen, uh, Colin? Because uh, with Grealish uh, coming in, as it seems is going to happen, um, that seems to be uh, one uh, cook uh, too many in in the broth in midfield. Uh, yeah, it does seem that way, doesn't it? I mean, we've got uh, Mares and Sterling, the wide players. We've got obviously Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden, um, Torres. Yep. Well, Torres, yeah, maybe more of a striker than than a midfield player, but. It, you know, then we've got then we've got Fernandinho and Rodri, of course, and uh, but but and Gundogan and um, and yeah, we've got some great prospects there, coming no through way, as well. There's no way Grealish is coming in and someone is not going the other way, surely. That, that's right. I, I, you know, we've just got too many people um, for too many places. Um, so I, I think Bernardo, I think it's an open secret, isn't it? Bernardo does want to go. Um, and it'd be a shame, you know, he's a really good player and he had that great season. He's never quite recaptured the form he had, I don't know, pre that Mendy incident. And, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, we could, I, I don't think we could keep them all. So, you know, we, we've, we've talked about Bernardo going and he seems the most likely. You know, there's been talk of Sterling going, I guess, but I can't see that particularly. Um, so yeah, if Bernardo goes, Grealish comes in, we're only back to where we started from. So, now, Ray, um, what a lot of people are worried about um, with this potential exchange um, of uh, Bernardo going somewhere else and Grealish coming in is that Bernardo fulfills a very, uh, a, a very, very important defensive role as well as his attacking abilities, which Grealish does not offer you. Uh, does that give you any cause for concern? Um, right now, not really. There's a little bit, but if if we're honest, Bernardo, if if everybody's fully fit, Bernardo doesn't get into that first first team. If everybody's fully fit, our midfield will be KDB, Gundogan, Fernandinho, or, or, or Rodri as a DM, and our attack will be will not include Bernardo. You'll have Mares on the right, or Ferran Torres on the right, Sterling or Foden on the left. Either Gabriel Jesus or a false nine down the middle, or if we get um, a new striker, somebody else down the middle. Where does Bernardo fit? For all his energy and, and everything he gives us, his industry, I think from what we've seen over the last two seasons, he's not uh, a definite starter in our best first 11. Um, and if I'm looking at it, if I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, would he be first reserve for, for midfield or attack? I'm not so sure with all those players that we've got. So, is Jack, I think Jack Grealish will have to do some more work on the defensive side of things. I've seen a couple of games, a couple of times um, when we've dropped down to 10 men. I think Brighton did us when we dropped down to 10 men, even though we were winning against them. Wolves did it a couple of seasons back. Where I think Pep's system really does require 11 players on the pitch. And when we've gone down to 10, I think we've really, really ended up struggling and 
losing games and, and not having the same influence uh, on those games. Um, so I think Jack Grealish, he, he'll have to step up his defensive <laughs> role. I don't think Pep's going to be. We've seen it with Riyad Mahrez, using him as an example. He was a big fish in a small pond at Leicester City. You know, PFA Player of the Year, great season at Leicester when they won the title. Um, but he could get away with a lot more at Leicester than he could with uh, than he can do at City. Pep does not want us to lose the ball, and I think Maris takes fewer risks than he does uh, at City than he did for for Leicester. And I think the same will be with Jack Grealish. I think we'll ask him to unlock doors. You know, we'll ask him to take risks, but we'll ask him to also look after that ball, make sure we don't lose it, recycle it and put in a shift defensively because we need everybody, everybody to contribute, um, you know, in either um, chasing down, um, you know, um, closing down and and uh, um, putting that press on. Um, I think everybody has to contribute. I don't think Jack's going to get a free pass on that. If we got Harry Kane, he isn't going to get a free pass on that. I think everybody needs to be involved in that press. And I think when City have done really, really well in, in games and in seasons, it's when the presses work really, really well. Now, Colin, what confuses a lot of people is that um, uh, looking over the last season, I think Sam Lee pointed this out, that um, uh, Jack Grealish's uh, primary position is uh, wide left. Now, we have got um, uh, a queue on there. We've got uh, Sterling. Uh, we've got Foden. Of course, many people think that the the the, the decision to pick um, Sterling in the Champions League final was one of the reasons why we lost it because we forced uh, Foden back into midfield and lost his effectiveness. Um, notwithstanding, of course, not playing a defensive midfielder, which was absolutely stunning. Um, but um, Grealish's uh, set, uh, primary position is uh, wide left, so. Um, what are your thoughts about where uh, Pep would position him? Uh, I don't know, as you say. You know, given his form last season, Sterling uh, <laughs> isn't an automatic choice like he used to be. And I say, well, I don't want to go over the Champions League final again, but it was a puzzling decision somewhat. Could have paid off. Didn't, really. Um, so, yeah, Grealish tends to play that wide left position, um, which... It's, it's Foden's best position as well. So it'd be interesting to see how that all works out. Um, say Foden, I don't think it's Foden is as effective further back. I think he's most effective there. You know, if we play a 4 1 3 2 or something like that, um, who's the three in midfield? I mean, Kevin De Bruyne has got to be in. Uh, Mares has probably got to be in. And it's a toss up between Foden and Grealish. Well, maybe we'll finally send in Foden out on loan to. Um, Doncaster Rovers or somewhere. <laughs> um, Ray, let me ask you this question because I think it's on everyone's lips, uh, and, that, uh, is, and that, is, that is with the acquisition of Grealish, is that the end of the Harry Kane deal? <laughs> you must be kidding me, man! You must be kidding me. Um, you know, I think the acquisition of Grealish would probably make Kane lick his lips even more. You know, he'll look around at the young English talent City have got in Foden, Sterling, Sterling still only 26, Grealish is what, 25. Um, he'll look at them and think, well, you, know, you know, these guys are the, f- the future for the next five or six years at least. Um, he'll look around City 
and we've got KDB, who he said, you know, it's a dream to play with KDB. Um, you know, we've got Mares. We saw Mares put a nice cross in the other day again in the friendly against Barnsley, um, evading the keeper. And the kid uh, was it um, Van Dabidol? He scored in in the kind of the way you'd expect Kane to be, you know, poaching and and getting a relatively easy easy goal. So Kane's going to look around and say City are just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And what City don't have at the moment is an out and out lethal striker. In I want to say the Sergio Aguero mold, but the the kind of uh, if this is a word in lethalness or, or equal, uh, you know, um, superbness as Sergio Aguero, bad choice of words, guys. But someone at that level, you know, uh, not a, a replica of Sergio, but someone who's going to put a ton of goals away. Um, and since City haven't got anybody like that, Kane should be, if he joins, a shoo-in. And if you're looking at it purely from for footballing reasons, you're not looking at it from money reasons, you're not looking at it from boyhood club reasons, you're looking at it as winning trophies and being at the top of your game, playing in things like the Champions League um, and winning trophies when you haven't done so. And in Kane's uh, situation, you probably won't win anything at Spurs, let's be honest. I think Spurs' chances come and gone in that Champions League final against Liverpool. Uh, where they bow down quite meekly, and, and in the um, Carabao Cup final against City, I mean, if you're if you're honest, Spurs struggled to even get to finals. So they got, to, if I'm right, two finals in about probably eight or ten years, um, and they've lost them. But so the chance of Kane winning something at Spurs is is, is slight, in, in my opinion, and they're getting weaker, not stronger. Um, so I think it just probably makes Kane want to come to Manchester City even more. We've got, you know plethora of young English talent that some of the best players in the world like Maris and uh, KDB Gundogan as well uh, we're only going to get better and stronger you're looking at that City side and thinking you know they, we've had a stranglehold on the Carabao Cup where most you know teams like Liverpool don't even give two hoots about that and we've had a stranglehold on the weakest trophy in uh, domestic football in England so what chances have other clubs got of winning anything and Kane's going to look at that and say you know, he's going to earn tons of money at Spurs. He'll earn tons of money at City. That's not a factor. This is boyhood club and everything. But, hey, you get a chance to play with KDB. You get a chance to win lots of trophies. I think Kane's desire will be even greater if we sign Jack Grealish. Uh, Colin, are you liking the way that uh, if we did get Kane, the English complexion of Manchester City are, would change? Because then you'd have Kane, Grealish, Sterling, Foden... Walker, Stones, and I think I'm probably forgetting some somebody, but um, it's becoming an English-looking team. You forgot Scott Carson. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I I apologise. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Um, I mean, it's not bothered us in the past not being an English team, but I mean, yeah, Walker. Uh, the core of the team has been Walker, Stones, Sterling, um, uh, for the English sort of core of the team. Um, it's not particularly bothered us, but I don't know. Maybe I don't know, it does seem like a strategy, doesn't it? I, I I can't think I can't think of any good reason why we might go that way. It's not as though uh, the foreign players have struggled to adapt to the game. I mean, uh, you know, we were watching that um, watching that Barnsley game on Saturday yesterday, and they were four 0 down and playing out from the back. You know, so 
English football has adapted to Pep's methods, not you know, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Ray, let me ask you this question because it was one that was asked uh, a listener question. Um, so obviously, <clears throat> uh, Liverpool have signed uh, Ibrahim Konate. Uh, United um, have signed Sancho, and they pretty much look to have done Varane. Uh, there have been various other signings, of course. Um, is there anything about the signings that our rivals have done that gives you cause for concern? No. Um, I, uh, United, will should they be better because of the players they look like they get in the Varane and Sancho? You'd think so. Do I think City are going to be better? I think City are better than, than United. Uh, first team wise and squad wise, they might have a, a bit of a stranglehold over us in head to head in the in the league at the moment. But in reality, I, I don't think that's enough for them to catch up. Um, Liverpool, I'm not worried about the signings. Do we expect them to bounce back with Virgil Van Dijk and, and Gomez and Massive if they're back and having a full first team? I think that undoubtedly will make them stronger. I think they'll. I don't think they're a hundred-point season side, but we don't know. You know, we'll find out how much difference having Van Dijk back, having Henderson and Fabinho playing in midfield. We'll find out how much difference that does make to them. Um, is that going to be you know a twenty-point swing? Who knows? Chelsea. Uh, we'll see what Chelsea do. I think Chelsea should be better than last season. You know, they'll have a. Um, I think that we, we saw towards the end of the season they were quite resolute. They weren't letting in too many goals, apart from one game where they got absolutely spanked. Uh, but they weren't letting in too many goals. And you'd you'd expect I I would expect Havertz and Werner to be stronger this season than they were last season to do better. And who knows? They might still go out and get Erling Haaland, uh, and then everybody will be um, <laughs> panicking, uh, shaking in their boots. But I, I don't see anybody else knocking on the door. I, th- I think Leicester will be there or thereabouts, but not challenging for the title. I think they'll be uh, challenging for Champions League. Uh, Arsenal, sorry, I think they'll be struggling. Spurs, especially if they lose Kane, I think they'll struggle too. I don't um, think they're going to do much with the Nuno. I don't think that's going to make them an exciting team. I don't think that's going to propel them into the uh, ch- Champions League positions or challenging for the title. So I think... You know, the, the top four next season more than likely will be the top four that finish in those places this season. Colin Savage, how do you uh, assess our rivals going into this season? Um, well, Liverpool have got obviously Van Dijk back and Gomez, so they're not not very helpful when they got beat 7 2 by Aston Villa, mind you. So they're, they're going to be there or thereabouts. You know, United, they're no great shakes. I, I, I've had this argument before. Um, is Solskjaer a good enough coach to win the league? I, I don't think he quite is. Uh, and I think United, one United um, fan summed it up. It said, yeah, we're very much dependent on our rivals, to, on our rivals' performances to see if we make we can scrape into second place again. Chelsea, I think, are going to be the big threat. Um, obviously, we, we didn't get much change out of them last season, particularly once uh, Thomas Tuchel took over. So they're, going to, I think, going to be the big threat. I can't see anyone outside those, uh, well, those four clubs, Chelsea, Liverpool, United, making the top four, to be honest. 
Well, guys, that's been very, very interesting. Are there any other uh, matters or issues that you'd like to bring up just before we bring it to a close? Yeah, we. I mean, we talked a bit, little bit about um, you know the financial statements and um, financial fair play, and I think Ray made the point that I've always said financial fair play is not a good way of regulating finances because a it's historic, so it's only looking back three years, and b it only looks at the profit and loss account, nothing else. Now, the analogy I use is imagine if you went to the doctors with chest pain and the doctor took your temperature, said, yeah, no, your temperature's fine, nothing to worry about, didn't take your blood pressure, didn't give you an ECG. Uh, and that's a bit like financial fair play is at the moment. Only looks at one symptom and it's historic. Now, actually, as we know at the moment, Barcelona have problems because uh, La Liga, whatever we, we say about Javier Tebas, He's got a decent um, piece of financial regulation in place in La Liga. So it's it's not about what happened two years ago, although that I think that comes into it a little bit. It's about what can a club afford to spend next season. And this is what's hampered Barcelona, because they've gone into such huge debt, over a billion euros of debt, much of which has been incurred because of COVID. He's basically said to them, and we talked earlier about player costs, not forget about fees. Fees don't matter. You know, net net spend doesn't matter. It's about amortization and wages. And basically, they he's imposed a limit, two hundred million euros on Barcelona for next season for player wages and amortization. Now, when you take into account that, uh, I think it's Dembele, Coutinho, and um, Griezmann. I think is the other one. They take care of three quarters of that on their own. So they may have signed Messi on a you know fifty percent off buy one buy one Messi get one free type deal, but they can't register him because that takes them over the two hundred million. So so they're in a bit of a mess. Um, and and the La Liga's <coughs> system is probably a much better one than UEFA's in that respect. Ray, have you got anything that you'd like to add? Um, I think there's one one quick point. Um, is that I think this season, the, the, obviously last season with COVID, um, FFP was kind of benched, to put it to one side, because not, pretty much all clubs were, were stuck. Um, the uh, English clubs, most of them were hit less than um, our European com- uh, competitors, simply because, you know, we kept most of our TV deal. You know, in France, they got battered on the TV deal last season. They lost. It had to be renegotiated, or um, because they didn't they didn't finish the season, and then it, and then it collapsed this season. So they've been hurt really badly. Um, and English teams, I think, generally uh, have done uh, fared a lot better than everybody else. But FFP, the current FFP, I think they're looking at it over two years instead of one year. Because if you look at it from, you know, I think they've extended the period just because it would have been a mess and it would have been horrific and teams would have got battered. So I think uh, looking at it over a slightly longer period and expecting it to even out. And I think we talked about it in the last pod that City's next account might be the most, um, the biggest profit we'll ever see at City. Um, I think it's going to, you know, come out really well because a lot of stuff that was left, that, that did, that because the season finished late last season, uh, so a lot of the prize money and, and other bits and pieces, not lasting the season before, um, but it, 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 it's going to be, you know, there's going to be more money coming in in the last set of accounts 
um, because things were delayed from the previous season. So I think City are going to post a probably a humongous profit. I think a few other clubs will as well. Some some clubs are still getting hurt badly, like Spurs, uh, with their new ground. We talked about that as well. Uh, so FFP is, is still hanging over a lot of clubs. Um, so there will, I think a lot of things will be going on this summer to make deals happen. Um, but I think I, I've, I've no doubt um, that City will be all right. You know, we'll find a way to make it work. I have no doubt we'll be all right um, you know, with FFP. Well, guys, I think that's a good point to leave it on. Uh, fascinating, uh, Pod. Thank you so much for your uh, contributions. Uh, let's just uh, wish farewell uh, for now uh, to our two regular guests. Um, Colin uh, Savage, thank you so much for your insights on this pod. Oh, it's, yeah, no problem at all. I'm always happy to give uh, educate people on financial matters, of course. Mm-hmm. And also, Ray, thank you so much, too. Uh, it's always a pleasure, Mike. Well, listen, guys, uh, we will be back with you uh, very shortly. Um, I hope you enjoyed this particular pod. And uh, we'll just uh, say goodbye for, for now in our usual way by saying have one on us and up the blues. <laughs>